everyone. This is Drew DeLuca from QB List with Sammy Alsado, also from QB List. And we are recording our second NFL Draft podcast uh, to cover the 2022 NFL Draft from Las Vegas. Uh, let's start with some impressions of the week. Uh, Sammy, you and I both had media credentials, and uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, we had some access to the players. I uh, got to do press conferences, see them in the hallways and such. Uh, what are some of your highlights, uh, some of your impressions from uh, that experience? Yeah, so just to note, this was our first time getting media credentials. So it was really, you know, immersing yourself in the full environment, the celebration of NFL that the draft weekend is. Uh, I was amazed at the access we got, I'd say, is my biggest takeaway from immediately when I got there to being able to interview all the draft analysts from Daniel Jeremiah, Charles Davis, Coach Shaw, Joel Klatt. And then right after that, being taken to the field to have really just an open forum conversation with all 20 draft prospects and got to get a word in with Aiden Hutchinson, who was just standing by himself with no reporter around him. Uh, I think that my biggest takeaway of all of this was uh, amazed at how accessible the players were, how personable everyone was, and how much more of a human experience it was to really be at the draft. How about you, Drew? I know you jumped in... uh, during that night after I got to interview the players, but from the press conferences on, you were there throughout. How, how'd you feel about it? Oh, I, I thought it was, it was surreal. It was really, it was, it was like a, it was, it was fantastic. I really can't put a, um, uh, a word, description to it. Um, you know, you, you, you envision yourself, you dream of yourself being able to, you know, go to these kinds of events and, and have this kind of access. And it was just really cool to sit there and talk with some of the players and interview them, uh, you know, kind of shake hands, fist bump, uh, those kinds of things afterwards. Uh, um, you get to see him in the hallway, chat him up a little bit here and there. Uh, but it was also really cool meeting different members of the media, like you were mentioning too. I met uh, uh, some, some people in the Philadelphia Inquirer, USA Today, uh, different outlets. Met, we met a guy from Germany who was there covering the draft, and he was a lot of fun. Uh, he's super excited for the game coming to Munich later this year. So I uh, really did get to see uh, meet people from all over the world there for the same reasons we were, uh, which is just the celebration of football, which is pretty awesome. So, uh, oh, by the way, we got to see Weezer and Ice Cube too. That was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they, they yeah. played out well. The sound yeah. system was great. And yeah. yeah, just following up on what you're saying, I mean, the amount of players we met, I mean, even former players like Mike Vick just hanging out there, mm-hmm. Mike Leach in the hallways, Pac-Man Jones is suddenly a journalist trying to take all our jobs. It's like... A, <laughs> Yeah, that was wild. I was sitting right behind Pac-Man Jones. He starts asking questions, and, and he turns he turns and starts looking. I'm thinking, that looks like Pac-Man Jones. And lo and behold, it was Pac-Man Jones. So, and when was, Pac-Man Jones speaks, you listen. Right? Yeah. So, anyway, hey, I wanted to um, – we talked about a few guys already in our first podcast. So if you missed the first uh, podcast that we did on day one, uh, we talked in depth about all 32 of the first-round picks, uh, including – uh, some people of fantasy relevance like Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks, and Kenny Pickett. So if you're interested in hearing our analysis about those, go ahead and go back to that first podcast and give that a listen. Uh, but today we're going to focus on day two and three uh, and go a little further in depth uh, with some of those players, starting with the quarterbacks. Um, first quarterback off the board uh, was not the one that we expected it to be. Uh, because we were, everyone was expecting Malik Willis to be the first quarterback. It was Kenny Pickett, who we've already talked about. The next one was Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Um, we, uh, we're definitely interested in Ritter. He's in a good landing spot there in Atlanta with very minimal competition in front of him in the form of Marcus Mariota. But Ritter could very well become a starter by season's end. And uh, he definitely is a threat not only with his arm, but also with his legs. What do you want to add there, Sammy? Yeah, Ritter's, uh, he may be, he could be the only rookie to start right away, actually. I know uh, Coach Smith for the Falcons came out and had said that, you know, whoever's the best man for the job is going to be able to get a chance to win it. I think right now the default is Mariota, being he's the veteran. But Ritter, just as Kenny Pickett in the first round, was known to be a high floor guy, could be ready to start day one. And I think he's going to get a chance in the preseason. So it's going to be really exciting to see what he does with that new look Falcons offense with Drake London. I agree. It, it is not un, uh, unforeseeable for him to take that job before training camp ends. I don't think that's going to happen. And I, I think probably more likely that Mariota will win the job outright. And then Ritter will have to win it from him probably sometime during the season. I think that's probably more likely, but we cannot rule it out that Ritter has the opportunity and the possibility of being the Falcons day one starter. Uh, next Malik Willis from Liberty. Uh, 
kind of an ideal landing spot for him behind Ryan Tannehill, although Tannehill <laughs> doesn't seem too pleased about it based on uh, the comments that he said. It's not my job to mentor him. Um, Malik Willis definitely needs a little bit of polish, and I think uh, playing uh, underneath Tannehill and kind of getting a chance to watch from the sidelines and learn the playbook and observe the speed of the game at the NFL level is only going to benefit him. I totally agreed. It's a, I'd, I'd say the perfect landing spot to go a step further and just uh, knowing that he can sit behind a quarterback who's seasoned, who's veteran, who it's, who sneakily uses his legs, obviously not to the level that Willis hopefully will, but to be able to sit in a play action offense with a, a high level running back, he really will be able to step into a winning culture and learn and maybe start the year after or a couple years down the road in the third round, the pressure's off Willis. So he can really just, work off his raw tool base, which we all know is outstanding and is why some people thought he should have been a first rounder. So falling to pick 86 with taking the pressure off Willis. I know I'm sure he's disappointed that he fell that far, but I think looking forward, Willis, uh, the, the arrow's pointing up. Yeah. We, we had talked, uh, out, out in Las Vegas, uh, about Malik Willis. I remember you had mentioned that he had, he had tweeted what happened to Malik Willis. So with kind of a laughing emoji. So he kind of has the right attitude about it. Uh, and I, I think I was told that the reason he didn't come to day two was that he didn't have a second suit. He wasn't prepared uh, wow. for this particular experience, but uh, otherwise he would have, he would have definitely been there. So that's, that was what he put out, but he seems to have the right attitude saying the right things. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see how it unfolds from here. Uh, Matt Corral was the fourth quarterback taken in this year's draft uh, by, and some people's boards, he was the number one quarterback. Um, he ended up going to the Carolina Panthers uh, we're talking about Ritter earlier as having a fairly unencumbered path to the starting job. Corral kind of in the same position. He's got to beat out uh, Sam Darnold, uh, who has been less than impressive in two different spots now, first New York and now Carolina. Uh, so talk to us about the young man from Mississippi. Yeah, Matt Corral, another guy who was a potential first rounder that the, the Panthers uh, before the draft said they were interested in two quarterbacks at the number six spot. And I think after the fact, it was noted that Matt Corral was very likely one of them. So Corral is a supreme athlete. He's a, I would say he doesn't have the same throwing talent that Willis does, but he's got his own interesting skill set. They say he throws like a shortstop. So he's got a very quick release. Mm -hmm. He had one game in college. We had 30 rushes. He's really, he's kind of a classic gamer and you're kind of a, I hate to make the comp as people always go to the bad stuff, but a Johnny Manziel sort of, playmaker spin out of a play and find something special he really has a bit he's a bit of a magician back there after the pick there was a report by ian rapaport that he had dealt with some depression substance abuse issues and that may have knocked him down the draft board i mean i think there's angles to even looking at that to say that you know matt corral has overcome that to become an nfl quarterback now and like you said with sam darnold there that's not a big impediment in his way so I think in dynasty leagues, I'm 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 buying Matt Corral just based on his running ability, and the fact that he he will get a chance in Carolina to show what he's made of. What he does with that, we time will tell. But I believe Matt Corral can be a dual threat quarterback, and he'll get a chance to play in Carolina in due time. Agreed. Now, last last two quarterbacks that uh, of consequence. One of okay, one of one not really a quarterback of consequence. That's Bailey Zappi, who was taken by the New England Patriots. Um, he's got a future as a backup in the league, so we're not going to waste time talking about him. But Sam Howell was taken uh, in the fifth round uh, by the Washington Commanders. I almost said Washington Football Team and corrected myself. Uh, now, if Carson Wentz falters, which stop me if you've heard this one before, um, <laughs> Sam Howell lurks. I mean, or he has he was the number one quarterback on the board going into the 2021 college season, um, and he didn't suddenly forget how to play football. He had a little bit of an off year compared to his junior year, or his, his, I should say his sophomore year. But um, he uh, he also lost a ton of talent. He lost Javante Williams. He lost Michael Carter. Uh, he lost Deami Brown. There's quite a few uh, pieces to that offense left, and he was kind of uh, left with some trying to reconnect with some new people and trying to make it all work. So I, I'm not saying that you know Sam Howell's going to have a great NFL career or anything else, but I am saying he's one to watch and monitor in a dynasty league. He's definitely worth a late round pick, uh, and we've seen Carson Wentz fumble opportunities before. Sorry for the pun there but uh um and if that happens again sam howell be ready 
In case you guys didn't know, Drew is an Eagles fan and sounded a little bit bitter there. Oh, uh, no, just just not bitter at all. So I wish the guy well. He actually, actually, Carson Wentz did a lot of good work in the community here in Philadelphia, and I'll always respect him for that. So um, I do wish him well in, in uh, Washington, except when he plays the Philadelphia Eagles. So, all right, <laughs> moving on to the running back position. Um, we talked before, uh, actually, we didn't talk about any of these guys yet because none of them were taken in the first round, which we correctly predicted there. Some people thought that Brees Hall might go to the Buffalo Bills in the first round. Instead, he was taken by the division rival New York Jets in the second uh, with the 36th pick overall. Interesting landing spot there. Uh, immediately, uh, Michael Carter, uh, fantasy managers were recoiling uh, in disgust with this, with this particular pick because Brees Hall is supremely talented. Uh, definitely more talented than Michael Carter. Um, so talk to me about uh, Bruce, Brees Hall. We got a chance to uh, interview him and uh, be, be the part of his press conference. So talk to us about what your impressions of Brees Hall. Yeah, um, Brees Hall, honestly, uh, going into the draft, he was the one guy I think people kind of slotted for that true three-down role. There were people plugging him in for the Bills in the first round. So the Jets getting him at 36, I'm sure they were quite happy to find him there. Mm -hmm. But Brees Hall, he's a real, you know, he can run inside the tackles. He's a very patient runner. He's shown receiving ability. It's really, he kind of checks all the boxes for what you're looking for out of a starting running back. And like you said, I'm not sure how they're going to utilize both him and Michael Carter, but they could work in tandem. I think if they do work in tandem, Brees Hall is very much the 1A to maybe even Carter's 1C. You know, I don't really think it's even a 1B situation. I think Brees Hall could step in right away. He should be in the running for rookie of the year. I think he should get a lot of run. And his press conference, he was really a humble guy. He spoke very well throughout and kind of spoke to things he wanted to work on and to his past being related to a former NFL star running back, Roger Craig, who was a 1988 offensive player of the year. So, And he spoke to how Roger talks to him. I, I think he said weekly after every game to say mm -hmm. what he saw. So they kind of work and work together to uh, I, I think that'll help him hit the ground running in the NFL, having that background. It's yeah. You can't ask for a better met, uh, mentor uh, than a guy who, who did it all uh, as a runner and a receiver before really anyone else. And he was, I believe he was the first one to have a 1000 yard rushing thousand yard receiving in the same season. Uh, so Roger Craig is a, a 49ers legend and, uh, um, NFL's like Hall of Famer. So it just just having that kind of uh, uh, advice, if you will, at the ready, um, certainly is helping Brees Hall, who a supreme talent is on right, just hone his craft even more. So I look forward to great things for Hall in New York. Uh, I know some people aren't happy with the landing spot. I think it's actually really good for him. Uh, that That's an offense that is very running back friendly, uh, and I think it'll feature him quite nicely. And uh, hats off to Joe Douglas and the New York Jets for uh, a great draft, and uh, Brees Hall is a big part of that. They were very aggressive on knowing who they wanted and making mm -hmm. sure it happened, and Hall should step into red zone duties right away. I think he should lead that backfield in touchdowns. I mean, obviously you're betting a little bit on Zach Wilson, so I can understand some people having some hesitation, but sure. I think we're both in on Brees Hall. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Walker, Seattle, was the next running back taken, also in the second round, the 41st pick overall, five, choice, uh, five picks later. Now, what this tells me is that Chris Carson's days are numbered. Uh, and I know I know Rashad Penny is there, um, we, but can we really trust him to stay healthy? He had a, he really kind of came alive towards the end of the season. Um, uh, but I will say, Ken, when you add a guy who's a Dope Walker Award winner, uh, best running back in college football, uh, and in my opinion, uh, as, as good of a runner uh, as Brees Hall is, maybe even better uh, in, in between wow. the tackles. And that's, that's, that's a bold statement because I'm, I'm very high on Brees Hall. Uh, Walker does have some question marks in the passing game though. So we'll see how they, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying he really wasn't asked to do it at Michigan state. So, um, uh, Seattle is also obviously another, uh, offense that likes to utilize running backs. So we'll have to, what do you think we're going to see there from, uh, Kenneth Walker in Seattle? Yeah. Seattle, Seattle very much has a bit of a tell in how they're building their team here, building around Drew Locke, their first round pick, Charles Cross, and then Kenneth Walker to back it up. They're going to be a run first team as they have been for a good while. And now losing Russell Wilson, it seems like they're going to go double down on that. Kenneth Walker, he's a really low to the ground, powerful inside runner. He did everything at Michigan State. I mean, he was up for the Heisman on a team that really didn't have that much of a supporting cast. So Kenneth Walker, he's proven he can produce in a large volume. He's a guy that could get 20 carries and you could comfortably put him in there every week if Seattle wants to. I'm not sure how they'll be deploying these guys, but you, you spend a high second round pick on a guy like this and 
he's going to get a shot. So I, I'm a little hesitant on the offense generally. That's why I'd take Brees Hall over Kenneth Walker if I had the choice in both Dynasty and Redraft. I just trust Zach Wilson to take another step more than I do Drew Locke right now. But reasonable minds can debate on that one. No, I, I, I don't disagree at all. All right, next uh, in the second round, the last uh, running back taken in the second round was James Cook from Georgia. Now, I was very high on him before the draft. More high, more, I would say I'm higher than consensus on him. Uh, I think he's a great fit here in Buffalo. Um, some people think he's a little small. Uh, I think he runs bigger than he looks. Um, shades of his brother. I'm not saying he is his brother, uh, but I, I'm saying he's no slouch himself. Uh, he's... He, Georgia running backs have proven their worth and their medal um, over the years here in the NFL. And I think his ceiling uh, might be limited somewhat by Allen's rushing proficiency and his tendency to Josh Allen likes to call his own number inside the goal line or in the red zone from time to time. Uh, but I mean, I, I doesn't, it's not a very big, not a very uh, high bar to jump over. If you just have to beat Zach Moss and uh, Devin Singletary for playing time. Yeah, I think on pure talent, I think it's uh, almost inarguable that James Cook should be longer term, more talented and show that than both Singletary and Moss. Right now, coming into the league, people do question his size a bit. I mean, he is 5'11", 190. He's not really that small, but in terms of BMI, that is actually (laughs) relatively small for NFL running backs, smaller than guys he's been comp to like Eckler or things of that nature. But he's a guy who's got great burst. He's a big play threat anytime he touches the ball. He's been more of an outside runner. I think he can run inside, but just wasn't asked to do it at Mm -hmm. the rate of other guys who are usually drafted this high, which really says a lot about how Buffalo views him. They passed on Brees Hall in the first round, and they got their guy in the second. I think Cook is going to be one of those guys who really shoots up draft boards as draft season approaches just due to the team he's on. Everyone's been speculating on them kind of settling on one running back through the years, which they haven't. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they will this year. In Dynasty, he's going to be a fun name to watch. I really do think his ceiling is as high as any running back in this draft, honestly. Yeah, I've been in a few uh, Dynasty rookie drafts this uh, so far, and even though the draft's only a week old, less than in some cases. Um, and Cook has been consistently going in the late first of uh, Dynasty rookie drafts. So, so, that, so he is definitely somebody that people in Dynasty leagues are targeting. And he, I think he's going to have some redraft value too. I think he'll be a nice mid to late round uh, sleeper in redraft leagues. We'll have to see how it all unfolds. In the third round, Rashad White. Uh, Arizona State went to Tampa Bay. Uh, White, one of the best receiving prospects uh, in this draft from as far as running backs go. Terrific out of the backfield. Um, and deceptively good between the tackles, too. He's he's a pretty good runner in his own right. Talk to us about what you think about Rashad White in Tampa Bay. Uh, passing running back with Tom Brady, right? We've seen it yeah. for years, all the way back to Kevin Falk. I know the, the Bucks had brought in Gio Bernard to fill this role a year ago, and he didn't get as much time as people were hoping. So I wonder if this is the signaling the end for Gio Bernard or them moving on in that regard. But Rashad White is mostly will be fitting into that kind of free-flowing, bouncing bouncing outside, running back. Like you said, he did run inside a bit. I'm not sure if that'll be a role there. Obviously, they have Leo Fournette. So his ceiling is a little bit capped there. And Fournette's a guy that I feel like people have kind of been forgetting a little bit. You know, Fournette, I believe, finished top 10 last year on the running backs. So mm-hmm. I'm not really buying into Rashad White and a redraft right now in dynasty. It's another thing, but uh, possibly in a PPR is a late round flyer. I think the ceiling's capped though. I agree. I agree. I, I'm, I'm very bullish on Fournette this year. Uh, but I, th- I also do think that Rashad white might chip away a little bit at that, at a third down role that Fournette has played in the past. So for a while there, it was setting up with Ronald Jones going to Kansas city that perhaps maybe Leonard Fournette would be that rare, three down back and uh, the presence of Rashad white is Rashad white here is making me question uh, if that's actually going to happen. So um, we'll see, maybe Fournette goes back into the first and second down role that perhaps he was, he's probably most uh, kind of chiseled and tailored for. Um, uh, He can certainly do that third down role that Rashad white uh, proves he's not quite ready from a pass pro standpoint. Uh, So what to see, he's definitely, I agree. He's someone to watch in PPR leagues uh, in redraft going forward. And that's uh, a very good point on pass pro because, as we know, Bruce Arians benched Ronald Jones for years being the more talented back in Tampa Bay solely due to his pass pro. So that'll be right. something interesting to watch even in preseason, how he holds up in that regard. Right, right. Uh, third round also, Tyrion Davis-Price from LSU goes to the San Francisco 49ers who, uh, uh, surprise, surprise, 
drafted another running back. It seems to be, you know, death taxes and the 49ers drafting running backs is kind of what happens, right? Uh, second day draft capital, though, here for Tyrion Davis-Price, so we can't ignore this. We I know we, Elijah Mitchell had a great season, uh, um, and there's still the ghost of Trey Sermon that's there. I'm not sure how long that particular specter will be hanging around. Uh, but there, uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is still there, so it is a crowded room. Um, but what do you think about Tyrion Davis-Price's chances in San Francisco? Uh, on tape, he really didn't impress me that much. He's a bit of a plotter. He's an inside runner, kind of fight through contact guy. And given the crowded room in San Francisco, it's hard for me to really buy him that high. I I found this to be a bit of a reach of a pick, but you got to trust the teams with their evaluations. I'd imagine he'll be getting some run this year. And San Francisco's rotated, rotated backs almost as much as any team in the NFL. So it feels like one of those situations where you may forget about him, but then he's starting week eight after a couple injuries in San Francisco, just as it is every year. Yeah. You have to see how this goes and watch closely in camp to see how he's used and what the, what the buzz is out of Fort Niners camp. There's some interesting uh, tidbits coming out today and rumors that uh, Shanahan and, uh, uh, and John Lynch and the scouting staff are not all on the same page there. Uh, and if you look at uh, with the Trey Lance, uh, for example, there was some, um, some reports coming out that Shanahan and some of the staff there are not quite pleased with Trey Lance and his development. Uh, and we see that also with Trey Sermon and some of the other relatively high picks there that perhaps maybe Shanahan's guy might have been Mac Jones and maybe uh, the team wanted to go in a different direction. So how much of that is true? How much of that is just rumor? We don't really know. But um, there there is some interesting tea leaves uh, on the side of the cut there, if, if, if you choose to read them. So, uh, you know, if, if, the, if he indeed is a Shanahan pick, um, then it'd be interesting to see if he gets some run and perhaps, uh, uh, you know, proposes a challenge to Elijah Mitchell. If not, he's just going to be just a guy. We'll have to see. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. from Alabama, third round to Washington. A little bit of a head scratcher, I think, there with Antonio Gibson there and uh, J.D. McKissick coming back. What are your impressions? I think this tells you that Washington doesn't trust Antonio Gibson as a true three down back through the season. Mm-hmm. So it really, uh, there was already a quote that came out where Ron Rivera was comparing this tandem of Gibson and Robinson to his D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart tandem that he had in Carolina. So I do think that Robinson will get some run, but I don't really, I think this does more to chill Antonio Gibson's value than it does Vaughn Robinson into any sort of significant role for fantasy purposes. Robinson's a big back. He's a inside runner. He did catch some balls out of the backfield and he split carries while he was at Alabama. So he could be relatively fresh compared to some of these other backs like Brees Hall, who were toting it nonstop for teams 20 plus times a week, but he's kind of below average acceleration, top speed. And it's a, I really, I, it's hard to buy into Robinson just based on Gibson obviously being the 1A there and Robinson really just eating into that value. Yeah, Robinson's kind of like underwhelming as far as, uh, you know, top shelf uh, SEC program running backs go. Um, but you can't ignore that uh, the draft capital there that the Washington uh, commanders have invested in him. Uh, fourth round, Damian Pierce from, from the Florida Gators goes to the Houston Texans. Uh, 5'10, 218 pounds. He's got the build of a future back, got the frame for it. I don't know if he has the elite speed that you'd like to see ideally in that kind of prototype, uh, but uh, and he's not going to uh, you know, make people miss uh, too much, but uh, he is a strong runner. Uh, and uh, I guess who's in his way? Marlon Mack? What are your thoughts on Damian Pierce in uh, Houston? I think he's one of the more intriguing running backs around this area of the board and rookie drafts, or I think Damian Pierce will be a guy who's picked in most all redrafts by the time the season starts, just based on the lack of clarity in the Texans backfield. He's kind of a, he's a violent runner. He runs a very strong inside. He's the kind of guy who pop his helmet off as he's running into you and keep running while the play's yeah. dead. He's uh like you said, though, he's kind of lacking in the kind of acceleration top speed areas, but he also kind of uh, split role while he was in Florida due to his coach. Uh, I believe once the coach was fired at Florida, he got the most carries he'd ever had in a game right away. And that was, I believe, only the last two games. So he's a talent who could be relatively fresh compared to some of these other backs. And I like him, honestly, coming into that Houston situation. I'm not sure whether he'll start right away, but I think he's going to get a chance. I think it's a wide open backfield and I think he's a talented back. Yeah, so much of it is opportunity when it comes to running back, so uh, probably more so than any other position. Uh, Zamir White, fourth rounder, 
to the Las Vegas Raiders uh, from the University of Georgia. Great landing spot. For, former five-star recruit, running back recruit, one of the top-rated running backs in the country when he came into college. Um, now, I'm not so sure I like Zamir White this year for re, for redraft, but I do like him in Dynasty. Um, the, not, the Raiders have decided to not exercise the fifth-year option on Josh Jacobs. Uh, I don't think Kenyon Drake is is the long-term answer there either. Um, I, I can see some dominoes falling into place where Zamir White, within a year or so from now, is the 1A back uh, it, for the Las Vegas Raiders. What are your thoughts about White? Completely agreed. If you're able to stash a guy like White, I think you do it in a heartbeat. It seems like he's the direct fill-in for Josh Jacobs stylistically. And like you said, they didn't pick up his options. So it's very likely that Josh Jacobs will get his walking papers at the end of the year. And this could be White's backfield a year from now. I also don't think he'll get too much run this year. Maybe just kind of spell in here and there. He's an inside runner. Good at kind of like knifing between the tackles on inside runs. So he's got good balance as well. He's a talented back, but he's going to have limited opportunity until Jacobs is gone. Yeah, I like him as a late round flyer in in, in redraft potentially. He's a, as a member of an ascending offense. That that offense uh, has what the, uh, some guy named Devontae Adams, I think, is there now, right? I think so, I've heard of him. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, of course uh, Darren Waller, you know, Hen, you know Hunter Renfro. You know, they got some they got some players there. So uh, and and uh, while uh, Derek Carr is not trash, he's he's a capable NFL quarterback. Uh, and I, I can see White, if given the opportunity, God forbid, if something happens to jo- Josh Jacobs, I can see him coming in and having a, a pretty significant role uh, in an in a, in offensive consequence there. So definitely a worthy late round stash. Isaiah Spiller uh, for the Chargers. Talk about uh, st- uh, falling stars here. Spiller was re- widely regarded as the second or third best running back prospect in this draft uh, by many experts and analysts back in February. Uh, how the mighty have fallen. Here we are talking about the fourth round going to the Los Angeles Chargers where Austin Eckler, the NFL leader in touchdowns from scrimmage with 20, uh, is already there holding court. So talk to us about uh, the Chargers' curious pick here of Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, it seems like it was probably a best player available kind of situation for the Chargers. Uh, Spiller fell right into their lap. This is a late fourth too. So this is one of the better value picks when it comes to skill Mm -hmm. position players. Uh, Spiller's kind of a big, thick back. He's got really good vision, very good balance. He's shown he has hands. Uh, another guy who's just lacking that top-end speed or explosiveness that you really see out of other top-tier backs like uh, James Cook, for example. But Spiller's a guy who I don't really buy in redrafts just based on what the Chargers already have there. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised to see him slowly eat into Eckler's role or find a role this year and in going into next. He's a guy I'm buying in Dynasty. Yeah, it seems like there's been a revolving door of uh, backup running backs there at the Chargers with Kelly and Roundtree, and it's just it's just maybe Spiller is the guy that they're trying to answer that question of who can we call, whose number can we call if we need to give, you know, Austin Eckler or a breather, or if he goes down, God forbid, but who do we who do we call? So I think Spiller is um, looking at that, but that's that's interesting though because a lot of teams don't really spend a fourth round pick. Uh, on that kind of a player, but um, they must. I, I think the Chargers had the luxury of going BPA in these yeah. spots, and the, the the inevitable starter to fill in for Eckler may have just fell into their laps. I wonder if this was their plan, yeah. or that was just value on the board because Spiller, like you said, was a uh, highly touted prior to. Sure. All right. Now, pick one twenty-seven in the fourth round. Pierre Strong, running back from San Diego State. Uh, the Jack Rabbit went to the New England Patriots. Five eleven, two oh seven. I really liked him going into the draft. I did not like the landing spot. Uh, so he's got a, an uphill battle for playing time behind Damian Harris uh, and Ramondre Stevenson. So uh, once again, Bill Belichick, and this will be a theme, I think, cares not for your fantasy team uh, when, he make, when he makes the draft picks. Talk to us about Pierre Strong. Agreed. It's really the fit that caps upside here. I like Pierre Strong and the fact that you're in a 4-3-7. He's a guy that's also built low to the ground, so he has mm-hmm. potential to do it all. He ran for 1,000 yards in three of his four seasons, so there's not much to knock him, really. The biggest thing to knock him right now is the role. Like we talked about rotating running backs in San Francisco. This is a stay-away backfield and has been for fantasy purposes for a long time. Uh, every now and then they find a LeGarrette Blunt year where you get, I believe it was 18 touchdowns in one season. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, that's a very rare thing. And a rookie back behind two already very known, talented running backs will be rotational at best to start his career. He's someone to watch for dynasty, but hard to buy in. Yeah. Agreed. 
another fourth round pick to watch Tennessee's Hassan Haskins from Michigan. Um, bruiser, powerful runner between the tackles. Um, he was very productive at Michigan. Uh, had a big hand in the Wolverines handing Ohio State their first loss, what seemed like a century uh, in that, that Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. Um, he looks like that he's that textbook kind of Titan slash Oilers legacy running back, that that kind of that really grinder, that Earl Campbell, that Derrick Henry. He's that same kind of tough runner. I don't think he's the same. He's not the same caliber of player, I don't think, but he definitely, definitely has that style. And I think if uh, he could definitely uh, pitch in and, um, and fill that role if necessary. Thoughts on Haskins? Yeah, Haskins a very big back and inside runner, and I think he'll probably be the handcuff to Derrick Henry going into this year. They've had a rotating cast of backups as well, and it's possible they found their guy here. I'm sure Haskins will get a chance in a rotational sort of role or a handcuff if, God forbid, Henry were to get hurt again. But he's a guy who's kind of lacking in burst and jump cut ability. He did catch some balls out of the backfield and he ran very well inside. Like you said, that Ohio state game hurts my heart, but Hassan Haskins was a large factor in that running right up the middle halfback dive for 30 times that game. It felt like, right. And he should be able to fill in uh, admirably in a backup role to Derrick Henry. All right. Tyler Algier from BYU goes to the Atlanta Falcons with the 151st pick overall in the fifth round. Tough banger chain mover, north-south runner, kind of a good scheme fit there in Atlanta and what they want to do there. Uh, what do you think about Tyler Algier and his chances of potentially find, working his way into a role of consequence? Yeah, one of the more intriguing names that goes around this uh, area of the fifth round. He's, uh, like you said, it's scheme fit. You know, he's a zone gap-to-gap kind of back, and that's what Atlanta does. And Atlanta has Cordero Patterson at the running back position, but he's a uh, – as we know, a bit of a tweener. He can shift around from uh, wide receiver into running back like he did last year. He's a guy who could find uh, a sizable role this year. He's someone, I think, who will be drafted in redrafts and is a worthy pick in Dynasty. I think he's lacking in some uh, top-tier traits kind of across the board. So I think his ceiling is a little capped, and I think he may get possibly a little too much hype just based on the fit here. But Algier will be an interesting guy to watch just based on the fit and his known skill set fitting what Atlanta does. Well, what, one thing we do know for sure is that he already beat out Mike Davis. Mike, Mike Davis was released <laughs> by the Falcons earlier today. All right. Uh, quick hits on a couple other ones. Snoop Connor, running back from Ole Miss, goes to Jacksonville in the fifth round. Inside runner who delivers the contact. Uh, look this guy up. Watch some film on this guy. He absolutely just bulldozes people. Um, so instead of shying away contact, he just, he, he, he brings it to you. Um, good burst lacks really top end speed, but he's interesting just because he's walking into a situation now where Travis ETN is coming off of a major injury. James Robinson is coming off of a major injury. So it's quite conceivable that Snoop Connor could have a role as, uh, in week one, if, if those two guys aren't, aren't up to 100%. Uh, and so that's something certainly to watch, uh, drone Ford from Cincinnati, can take it to the house, decent contact, balance, lateral agility. But unfortunately, he's in Cleveland, so he's got to kind of sit behind Kareem Hunt uh, and this, this some guy named Nick Chubb. So I don't I don't see a clear path to playing time for Jerome Ford, unfortunately. Uh, interesting prospect, terrible landing spot for him. But interesting um, scheme fit in that way. So if something were to happen to one or both of those guys, Ford could have a role of consequence. Kyron Williams, Notre Dame running back, goes to the – Rams, uh, Williams slid down draft boards after the combine and uh, an unimpressive pro day. His limited athletic upside, very good, capable hands. Uh, can he have a role in the Rams? Sure. Will he be of much benefit to your fantasy team? Probably not. Uh, and uh, two guys that I do think are, are worth tracking, however, Keontae Ingram from USC going to the Arizona Cardinals. A great athlete, good contact balance. Um, not super fast, but he's walking to a situation where he's by default immediately better than uh, Eno Benjamin. Uh, and with uh, with uh, Chase Edmonds now in Miami, who really is going to back up James Conner, who has injury issues of his own? It is not inconceivable for Keontae Ingram to have a big role at some point this season in, in the Arizona Cardinals offense. Uh, and that is definitely something that interests me. Uh, so keep an eye on that sixth-round pick. And then finally, in the seventh round, one of the last uh, skill position players drafted, Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers, uh, 5'10", 2'16", um, tough runner, good power, can shed contact, um, runs pretty well, actually, very well. 
Um, I don't know about his lateral agility, but you know, he's I could see him as a one cut guy in Kansas City in that offense. If if things go things don't uh, improve there with Ceh, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon's uh, thirty years old. He's on the wrong side of thirty. I can see um, things happening there for Isaiah Pacheco given if given the opportunity. So anybody, anybody else you want to add in there for running back perspective? Yeah, I've got one undrafted guy who could sneak onto the fantasy scene right around draft time, and Abram Smith. And this is really a lot due to the issues that Alvin Kamara has had in New Orleans. He's He may be facing felony charges right now. And with Mark Ingram behind him, and that's a fading and aging Mark Ingram, Abram Smith is a guy who came in last year to Baylor and put up a whopping 1,600 yards and 12 touchdowns. And the first year, he really got legitimate playing time. He, he didn't test well, and that's the reason that he goes undrafted. He ran a 4-5-4. He's kind of lacking in a little wiggle to make cuts, but he's his own guy who hits the hole hard. And if he finds his way into a role early in New Orleans, he's a guy who could really, really burst onto the scene. So just a name to keep an eye on as draft season approaches. All right. Um, wide receivers. Uh, second round. Christian Watson goes 34th overall to the Green Bay Packers. Now, we were talking, Sammy, during the draft, and I'd said don't be surprised if the Green Bay Packers take Christian Watson at the 28th overall pick in the first round. Obviously, that did not happen. Um, however, um, their first opportunity in the second round, they went up and got the guy, six foot four, North Dakota State product, uh, who absolutely dominated FCS competition. Um, he instantly, in my opinion, walks into that wide receiver room as the most talented player in that room and the guy most likely to emerge as Aaron Rodgers' number one wide receiver. Now I know Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard are buddies, uh, but Watson can just flat out do things that Lazard can't do. Anything you want to add about Christian Watson? Uh, I'm totally with you. I think he is the most talented in that room day one. And I I will say uh, just given the competition level, given he is six, four, but he's a little frail for a six, four. He's a guy who would need to be more physical in the NFL and, could get kind of pushed off the line by more physical corners, but he's obviously a very intriguing name to watch in a high upside offense with four, three speed, six, four height. Uh, really not he's lab built in many ways, you know, actually mm-hmm. six, five, I take that back. So I think he gained an inch within that time. <laughs> he's wow. uh he's comp to Michael Pittman. And that's, that could be off the bat. If, if you throw a Michael Pittman with Aaron Rodgers in that green Bay offense, that's a, that's a receiver you'd be wanting to target early on. He'll be an interesting name to watch in Dynasty. He's a little bit raw, in my opinion, but Green Bay doesn't have the patience for raw right now, so he may have to get thrown in. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm very high on Watson. You and I have had many conversations about it, so I'm excited uh, for his prospects in Green Bay. Uh, Wandale Robinson, second-round pick of the Giants. I'm not surprised that Wandale Robinson was drafted. I'm surprised that he ended up in New York and in the second round. Uh, but the Kentucky player, uh, Kentucky uh, standout, uh, is a very good player. Um, I do question the quarterback situation and I know he's a little bit undersized, but man, the guy can fly and he's, he's got, he's, he's got skills. He really does. Uh, he could, he could run, he runs all the routes uh, in, in the tree. He makes, he can make the tough catch. Uh, I'm not saying he's Steve Smith, but I'm saying that there have been plenty of undersized receivers in this league who have made it work. And I would not be surprised if Wondell Robinson uh, could be the next of that Steve Smith to Sean Jackson kind of ilk of, a smaller wide receivers who ends up having a long career in the NFL. Yeah, I completely agree with you. He's got a very interesting skill set. One of the he's he's a rare commodity within this draft. He kind of comps a little bit to what Rondell Moore was last year and a smaller guy who's lightning quick, kind of uh can play in the slot, can get downfield. I know some people think he's a pure gadget guy and he's not, mm-hmm. but he can he can fill in those screens. He can you can set him up downfield, uh smaller passes and just kind of watch him jitterbug in between there so he's going to be uh it, it may say something about how the giants feel about their investment of Kadarius tony to go dig into the wide receiver realm here again but when you draft a guy this high I, i'd imagine the giants will have a plan for him so it'll be interesting to see how wandale develops i think he's lacking that physicality similar to watson even though he is also, he's 511 so <laughs> he has a little bit lesser of a ceiling in that regard but he's unbelievably quick and he'll be uh, a big play threat anytime he gets the ball yeah, that was another smart pick by the Giants, actually. And uh, they had a great draft. Also, we talked about the Jets earlier, the New York Giants. really outdid themselves as well. Uh, 44th pick in the second round, John Mechie, 
wide receiver from Alabama goes to Houston. Now, had he not shredded his ACL in December, I would thought I would have thought that this pick made a lot of sense in this spot. I thought, I thought it was a little bit early, given the risk that that carries. Uh, but he does have a pretty high ceiling. Uh, and uh, looking at surrounding Davis Mills with some with some talent, uh, Mechie can certainly uh, be that guy down the stretch. So I don't know if he'll be ready uh, when training camp breaks. Um, but down the stretch, uh, as Mills, Mills continues to develop, it's an interesting uh, weapon to throw out there alongside uh, Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins. What are your thoughts on John Mechie? Yeah, Mechie's a, he's a solid guy. He's relatively more seasoned than these guys, uh, than a lot of some of these other raw or kind of wide receivers going around him. So Mechie was a consistent target within the Alabama offense for a number of years. He kind of got surpassed by Jamison Williams in that last year. So it'll be interesting to see how he does with Houston. It seems like there's uh, room for him to step into a role there, but I'm not sure what his uh, top trade is. It'll be interesting to see how he develops. I'm not really buying now, but I'm watching with a keen eye. Yeah, I mean, Dynasty League, so, you know, he's wor- I think he's worth a flyer for sure. Uh, redraft, I'm kind of – I need to wait and see. Like, I'm with you on that. Uh, f- the next receiver taken with the 50th pick overall in the second round, Tyquan Thornton. Wide receiver from Baylor going to the New England Patriots. Now, this guy's a, bur- a burner. He ran one of the fastest times at the combine. Uh, and he is a, a he has boomer bust written all over him, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I know he's I know he's got some size. Uh, he was a late breakout. He really didn't do much really at Baylor until his, until last year. Um it's just a curious pick. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't I don't quite understand what they're trying to do there. I see uh Devontae Parker could be coming in and being everything that they thought they were getting with, with Ankil Harry, but I'm not quite sure what they're trying to do with Tyquan Thornton unless they're trying to replace Nelson Aguilar. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Thornton? Yeah, he's a relative reach, I think, uh, like the Patriots' first-round pick as well. But I think he fits actually quite well in three-receiver sets for what they're trying to do there. He will be able to take the top off defenses or at least give defenses the threat of that relative to Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker, who he'll be in those three receiver sets with. Mm-hmm. He's 4.28 fast. So his Oof. his top gear speed is outstanding off the charts. That's how that's how John Ross went number nine. Not to say he'll be <laughs> as big of a bust as John Ross was, but uh and Henry Ruggs you... ten, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. those guys are falling a little bit now. Yeah. Just uh they need to kind of round out their game. And it's the same for Thornton, you know, route running. I mean I'm not sure he'll be much of an underneath threat. Uh, I think he fits well for what they're doing in a play action offense. Uh, I am again in redraft. He's hard to buy just given the Patriots are a run first offense. Mac Jones is a bit of a limited deep ball thrower in his limited time so far, but in dynasty, I think the, the Patriots will have a plan for Tyquan Thornton drafting him this high. He should be bookended for the future of their wide receiver room. Yeah. We just talked about earlier about how uh, Bill Belichick cares not for your fantasy team when he makes his draft picks. This is one of them. Like he just, he just smells like a, you know, maybe like a, a best ball, a best ball lottery ticket kind of a guy where you might get two or three target deep targets a game and maybe catch one or two for a 60 or 70 yards. And it's not something you can really hang your hat on. He can, he could have some, he'll have some goose eggs uh, here and there from, from what we're uh, most likely range of outcomes there. But uh you know, you can't, you can't coach speed. So they can't teach speed. There you go. Uh, George Pickens, second pick, second round, 52nd pick from Georgia. Now Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they have Chase Claypool. I know they have Deontay uh, Johnson there, but man, George Pickens. I, and I, I, I don't even say he's a juju role because I think he's a much uh, different player than juju was more physical. Um, he had an average depth target of 15 or more every year in college. I mean, this, this guy, this guy is really good. Talk to us about George Pickens. Yeah, George Pickens. I mean, if you watched him in college, he's one of those guys who had an NFL body, what seemed like his freshman, sophomore year. He just manhandles smaller corners. And I think uh, coming into the Steelers room, like you said, uh, I'm not sure how they feel about Claypool, given how things kind of wilted toward the end of the season. He's obviously a very talented player. And with Juju now in Kansas City, like you said, he could fill in there. But I think he's better than Juju. I think he could be better than Juju right away even. I think he's yeah. a solid route runner. I think he's very physical, NFL-level physical right away. He's got a suddenness and speed to his game. Not really a vertical separator as much, but it'll be interesting to see if they use him more underneath, kind of a jump ball physical guy. Um, yeah, I, I love the pick for the Steelers here. Yeah, I think it's good I think it's good for um, 
that wide receiver room too, and uh, maybe challenge Claypool more. Claypool actually read the card that had George Pickens' name on it, so I wonder if that might have been a little bit of a wake-up call for him. That hey, uh, there's there's going to be other people here that are um, jockeying for targets and better get it and see what it can do here. So we'll see. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in Claypool too. Uh, Pickens, I think, is a lot more similar, like you said, to Claypool than than Juju for sure. Strong physical receiver, hitch in the mouth and the run game blocking. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. And also Sky Moore, second round, 54th pick overall to Kansas City. Um, we thought maybe that Jamison Williams might have been a target at Kansas City. Nope, they got Sky Moore in the second instead uh, from Western Michigan. Uh, he this guy's a walking highlight reel. Man, he's got juke, he's got he's got moves, he can get open. I know he's 5'9, 195. His size is a bit of a knock, but he can really kind of do it all. I think he's a great fit in Kansas City. And obviously, he, you know, he looks like the guy they're going to plug right into the Tyreek Hill role. I don't know if he is Tyreek Hill, but uh, I can, I still, I can see him being very productive. Thoughts on? Scott? I, I completely agree. I think he could be more productive than Mikael Hardman, who they may have tried to shoehorn into that role before this. Agreed. Sky Moore, he's got traits off the off the board. Really, he's lightning quick off the line. He's shown physicality after the catch. He's shown speed deep. He. Uh, He's had so he's had a few easy drops that plagued him, and he played against lesser competition. And I think that's the only reason you find him here at 54. But this could be a home run of a pick for the Chiefs. And I'm buying in redraft. I'm buying in dynasty. He's one of those guys who's going to be debated with some of these first rounders just based on the landing spot and how badly they need someone to fill that Tyreek Hill void. Yeah, he's going pretty consistently in the mid to late, usually more like mid first round of. Uh, dynasty rookie drafts right now. And I think that's accurate. I think it's pretty fair. Um, I've seen him going ahead of um, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. That might be a little bit rich for me, um, but I, I don't think it's totally obscene, uh, even though it's nothing, something I would advise. I, I understand the process there to do that, but he's usually, I think, slotting in pretty much right behind those guys in dynasty redraft drafts. So it tells you right about where uh, a lot of people are valuing him at least early on. Definitely somebody that I'm going to be targeting in the mid rounds uh, of redrafters for sure. Uh, now, Vallis Jones, third round of Chicago, pretty he's fast guy. Um, I, I don't know. I'm a little little nervous when it comes to Chicago wide receivers. Uh, I don't know that he's got the prospect profile to, to really make me all excited about him. Uh, we could probably skip right down to Jalen Tolbert, the 88th pick of the third round, going to the Dallas Cowboys from South Alabama. Big bodied guy, uh, s- s- uh, definitely is going to create his opportunities or have plenty of opportunities thrown to him now with uh, with Amari Cooper gone and Cedric Wilson out of town. I could see Tolbert selling into a nice role there. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Tolbert's got uh, he's a vertical threat. He's six three. He he could pair nicely with Gallup longer term there. I think he's probably a guy that they may be able to wait on a little bit and develop there. But uh, I feel like he needs to kind of get become a better separator deep. He is a, an older prospect. And I think that's kind of why he fell at this point mm-hmm. and he's had some drop issues, but uh, yeah, it should be interesting in Dallas. Like you said, Amari Cooper's not there. So there's a lot of holes to fill, even though they paid Michael Gallup big. So him and CD should lead it, but that third spot is it's open. Right. Um, David Bell from Purdue goes to Cleveland with the 99th pick overall in the third round. Now, I really like David Bell a lot. I'm a big fan of his game in that he just seems to make all those catches. You throw it to him, he catches it. He finds a way. And sometimes it's highlight worthy. Um, he smells of a Jarvis Landry replacement to me. So I lose a little interest here. Actually, a lot of interest here. Jarvis Landry does come back. Uh, but if what Landry does walk, um, as it's looking more and more like he will with every passing day, then Bell becomes very inter- interesting to me, especially in PPR. Yeah, there's always those guys every year who seem to produce every year in college and consistently do that, but they don't perform well in the testing, so they fall a little bit. And David Bell is that for me this year. He's one of those guys who has consistently produced through his time at Purdue. He was an elite option for them. He was able to get downfield. He was able to catch jump balls. His tracking ability in the air is really fantastic. He showed separation at multiple levels of the route stem. I like David Bell a lot, and uh Cleveland, it seems like there'll be a bit of an availability now. Uh, I'm not sure who'll be throwing him the balls, but I think David Bell, I'm buying in both potentially as a late round flyer and redraft, but in dynasty, I, I think his arrow is definitely looking up. All right. Danny Gray was the last pick of day two as far. Um, and he was the 105th pick overall to the San Francisco 49ers. 
guy out of SMU, 62199. Vertical threat runs a limited route tree. I don't know. I don't really foresee big things for Danny Gray, at least not in the short term. Um, moving on to um, the fourth round, uh, we're going to skip kind of a, of over a few players here. Um, Eric Azukanama. Oh boy, am I butchering that? Texas Tech wide receiver from Miami. Um, strong battler, uh, doesn't really separate uh, the 6'2, 209. Um, he goes to Miami to crowd a wide receiver room. Um, so I don't really see, think him. he's going to get you know, a chance his hand to him. But man, he has the upside of a bully X receiver if he ever can find his way out of the field. Uh, but I, you know, first we have to, first he has to play his way there. And second of all, he has to wait for Tua to kind of take that next step. So there's other players I'm really looking at, like Romeo Dow, uh, Dubs from uh, Nevada going to Green Bay, the 132nd pick overall in the fourth round, 6-2, good ball tracker. What are your thoughts on Romeo? Yeah, another uh, just the same as we said with Watson, Green Bay needs receivers. They actually drafted three receivers, Dubs being the second of those. Mm-hmm. He's a vertical specialist, and Aaron Rodgers knows how to throw a deep ball. He's one of those guys that I would be taking the flyer on and redraft, and I will be drafting in keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, and really just seeing how it shakes out. Not to say it'll be a direct corollary of the Elijah Mitchell situation, but just be aware that, you know, talent takes over at some point. Not to say he'll pass Christian Watson. I don't believe he's more talented, but you just never know how these teams will value these guys as they come in, how ready they'll be to jump in the fray and green Bay needs starting receivers right now. So Romeo dubs is an option. He was prolific while he was at Nevada, obviously Carson strong while he was there was a really solely a throwing quarterback and they threw it pretty much all over the field and dubs was his main guy. So I'm uh, I'm in on Romeo dubs as a flyer and redraft and in on dynasty. Yeah. I certainly, I certainly can't see why he can't be at least as good as MVS was in green Bay. So some, some friends got to watch it. You know, it's got lots of upside. Uh, Calvin Austin, the third went to Pittsburgh from uh, Memphis five, eight, one seventy. I really liked him as a prospect, um, but I really don't like the landing spot at all. He's in that he's going to be buried in a crowded wide receiver room, even though he does play stronger than his size and super fast with quick acceleration. Um, I mean, we'll have to see what happens with Deontay Johnson. He's going to be due for a contract sooner or later. It might be a, a guy worth a stash or a look, a late look in a dynasty league, but not somebody that I'm really going to be hitching my wagon to and redraft at all. Uh, Clear secure from uh, Boise State, fifth round to Buffalo. Um, now, here's something that's, that's kind of interesting. Good yard after the catch guy. He can get open, not exceptionally fast, but does have good body control. Um, do you think he has an opportunity there to make some noise, maybe battling uh, Jamison Crowder for that slot spot? Yeah, I do. I, I think more so in Dynasty, maybe a, a year or so down the road. I mean, Gabriel Davis really stepped up huge for mm-hmm. Buffalo last year, and they were able to kind of sit him and groom him a little bit. I believe Isaiah McKenzie's still there, so I think it'll probably be between the two of them to fight it out for that role. But he, he's got some nice shift to him. You know, I heard a lot of uh, Golden Tate comps. Mm-hmm. He runs a four four three. He's going to be a, an interesting guy there in Buffalo, and I think Dynasty upside's high, you know. When you got a quarterback like Josh Allen, you got a guy who can get deep and can kind of be a gadget player going around end arounds and reverses and things of that nature. I think Shakir's got an interesting profile to him. Yeah, he's kind of slippery and can make things happen with uh, with the ball in his hand. Uh, Kyle Phillips, uh, fifth round, 163rd pick overall to the Tennessee Titans, UCLA, 5'11", 189. Now, this is a guy I'm really looking at in PPR leagues as a, you know, a late flyer, uh, especially in Dynasty. Um he's kind of your prototypical slot guy. He's got, he's a good, uh, he's a good value pick there for Tennessee as well. And, and, and he fills a need. So they really needed some wide receivers of consequence. So and what are your thoughts on Kyle Phillips? Uh, cue the Cole Beasley comps, you know, it's yeah. uh, another inside receiver who could step in right away with a role. He's one of those uh, high floor, low ceiling guys. And I think Tennessee needs someone for that role right now. He's a great route runner, wins with jukes and shoulder fakes, and he's lacking a little bit in athleticism, so that's why I say he'll be a little uh, – the ceiling will be tapped out. But uh, for uh, you'd have to be in a deep league to really speculate too hard on Kyle Phillips, but uh, I think he could find a, a smaller ceiling-capped role within Tennessee, even his first season. Yeah, now looking over the lists of the sixth and seventh-round picks, 
there's nobody really here that really kind of stands out to me, but one guy I am to keep an eye on. We talked about an undrafted running back earlier. I'm going to give you an undrafted receiver, and that's Justin Ross. Now, the medicals for him were apparently enough to scare all 32 teams away from him on draft day, uh, the entire draft weekend, actually. And he went quite some time afterwards before being signed. But he ends up with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and the medical staff of Kansas City has already cleared him. Uh, so that speaks well for his for his uh, chances of getting on the field and making some noise. So, I mean, we have some, there's some opportunity there in the Kansas City receiving core to Marcus Robinson being gone, uh, Tyreek Hill being gone. Yes, Sky Moore is there, uh, but there are snaps to be had. There are opportunities to be had in that Kansas City offense. And Justin Ross, after his standout freshman year working with Trevor Lawrence, uh, was looking like he was going to be a first-round pick overall. Uh, not overall, but first-round uh, day-one pick. Uh, and before the uh, the neck injury and, and the surgery, uh, and then he came back and he had the foot injury and he was playing with subcore quarterback play last year. Um, but the guy's a good football player and he's he's uh, rounding into into shape. Uh, and I'm excited for his uh, chances to have an opportunity and do something in that Kansas City offense. Yeah, I agree with you. I think no one's really doubting Justin Ross's talent. I wonder mm-hmm. how high he would have gone if he didn't have those injury concerns. He could have been anywhere from a second to third round pick. I mean, if not even considered earlier than that. Right. Um, I think uh, it really does say a lot about how his process played out and how teams feel about his medicals and may honestly be afraid of the liability of having a guy who could be, you know, one hit away from a Ryan Chazier, God forbid situation. So uh, fingers crossed on Justin Ross. I hope he has a long career. He's obviously talented enough to do it. He lands in a good spot. Uh, I'll be watching. Yep. We'll be rooting for him. Trey McBride uh, going to tight ends. The first tight end taken by the Arizona Cardinals in the second round. That's a lot high draft capital for a tight end. Uh, 55th pick overall from Colorado State. Now, Arizona doesn't traditionally, at least in that Cliff Kingsbury offense, use the tight end very much. Um, and there's this guy, Zach Ertz, who's there and still around, who actually did carve out a role last year. Um, now Ertz, I think will probably have a bigger role in the first six weeks of the season with DeAndre Hopkins, uh, out because of the suspension for what appears to be PEDs. Uh, so this is a bit of a, a head scratcher, uh, here for me, for them to pick a sec to take McBride in the second round. Uh, but he is the best tight end on the board. Uh, and he is going into a, a very interesting offense. Any thoughts on Trey McBride? I think Trey McBride has a better, bigger receiving role than Zach Ertz day one in Arizona, actually. Mm. I think he's really uh, he's a smooth, fluid tight end. He's really known for his receiving. He's inconsistent as a blocker, and you're not drafting him as a blocker here. I think he's kind of in the Hunter Henry mold. If Hunter Henry had a little bit more speed to him, so uh, I'm I'm intrigued by Trey McBride and a high octane air attack Arizona offense. Like you said, draft capital this high in a tight end, they're going to be using him. Yeah. They're going to give him a shot. He's athletic enough that I think he could do some things. I mean, he was quite prolific in college. Sure. And, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, I was to say, I agree. And Ertz is on the wrong side of uh, 30 as well. So it's something to keep in mind. So I'm not, I don't know that he's going to beat out Ertz right off the bat, but I, I do definitely can, can see him, you know, eating into Ertz's workload. And if something happens to Ertz, you know, as often happens with older players, but in terms of injuries, McBride certainly, certainly has a skill set to step in. Yeah. I really, uh, I guess to qualify, I wouldn't say he'd beat out Ertz in the sense that he'd be higher than on the depth chart. But in terms of receiving threat, if I was to maybe bet on the first six weeks who will have more receiving yards between Trey McBride and Zach Ertz, I would lean McBride. All right. I like the spicy take. I like it. (laughs) Third round, Jelani Woods, 73rd pick overall from Virginia. Uh, A lot of people really like Jelani Woods and his athletic profile. He's 6'7", 4'6", speed. What's not to like with that? Um, I was not really impressed from watching his combine workouts as far as his fluidity uh, in his route running, uh, change of direction. Um, I just, I didn't see the fluidness that I saw from uh, Greg Dulcich that I, from UCLA, who was taken with the 80th pick in the third round by the Denver Broncos with the very next tight end taken off the board. Uh, I think he's a superior route runner and probably going to be a superior offensive player to Jelani Woods. Uh, who I think Woods definitely has it all over him in the red zone. He's a big red zone target. Uh, I think Dulcich is a great route runner, better technician. Uh, I believe he's a converted wide receiver. Any thoughts on Jelani Woods to Indianapolis or Greg Dulcich in, in Denver? 
I'm intrigued by Woods, honestly, just the size-speed combo. I mean, he was a he was a big target for UVA there. I mean, he could jump right in and be a touchdown-dependent tight end and redraft. And Indianapolis has been rotating a few of those from Doyle to Mo Alley Cox, and I think he's a better version of Mo Alley Cox, actually. But mm-hmm. like you said, he's a little lumbering, and he's not really a yak guy, I don't think, even though he yeah. does have a bit of power to his game. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Indianapolis deploys him. I think they've been looking for a more solid tight end in that role for a bit. Yeah, but I mean, and, I, I, I I do see Matt. I can see Matt Ryan definitely finding him, to, uh, you know, Johnny Woods busting that seam, you know, taking it down. I can see that happening down the field. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah, yeah. and with Denver um, – I guess it's out of there now with no fans has gone. So it's a path to playing time for Dulcich. He's a vertical st- seam stretcher. And I think he could have a role. I, I wouldn't really buy in redraft, but in dynasty, I think he's worth a shot just given there's no real uh, long-term impediment in his way there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like Albert O. Uh, I, I can see Dulcich being a very similar profile uh, prospect, but perhaps even better. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how those two duke it out. Uh, for that number one tight end role, uh, at least from the receiving perspective, uh, out in Denver. Um, Jeremy Ruckert, uh, uh, Ohio State, let you talk about him. He, he went to the Jets in the third round, uh, another day two pick. Seems like yeah, a, Ruckert, a nice – go ahead. Uh, yeah, Ruckert really had a fascinating career at Ohio State. He was the five-star recruit, number one tight end. Urban Meyer even said he was the best tight end he ever recruited. Wow. Uh, as Ohio State's done through the years, we haven't really utilized the tight end that much. So he got a – lot lower volume than I think he would have anticipated when he did commit there, but he showed out within that he's, he was known as maybe the best blocker within this draft and he's a capable receiver. He's not a, he's not the speed guy that you're getting in McBride. He's not really the seam stretcher like you saw in Dulcich, but he's one Mm -hmm. of those guys who can do a little bit of everything. And if he can block day one, there is a bit of a crowded tight end room in New York right now. They mm-hmm. signed both CJ Uzama and Tyler Conklin to two-year deals, but I believe there's outs within those contracts. So I think Ruckert's a guy I'm buying as mm-hmm. a sneaky buy in Dynasty. I wouldn't touch him in redraft. He's a third tight end in a limited offense, but in Dynasty, I think uh, Ruckert could very well work. He could be a better NFL tight end than he was a college tight end. Hmm, I can see that. Yeah. Kate Otten, tight end from Washington, went to, was the first player selected on day three uh, with the 106th pick overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 6'5", 250. Um, now, he looks like he could be an inline tight end there, but he also does have – he can block and such. But he, he's got sneaky good hands as well, uh, and that interests me when you're talking about a Tampa Bay tight end room that we don't know if Rob Gronkowski is going to come back. We, we know that OJ Howard will not be there. He's now in Buffalo. So there's opportunity here in, uh, in uh, Tampa Bay and Kate Otten is well positioned to take advantage. I completely um, agree. I think there's opportunity there. Uh, keep an eye on that, that uh, transaction wire about Gronk. Cause if he's not Kate Otten could be an option in redraft even. Yep. Daniel Bellinger to the Giants, uh, 112th pick overall, fourth round from San Diego State. Highly athletic. Wasn't really asked to do a whole lot there in college. But, man, his upside is intriguing. He's a very good athlete who who's got who can do a lot of things there with uh, catching the ball. And uh, there's no Evan Ingram there anymore. Uh, and so Daniel Bellinger could find his way in there. He's got Ricky, uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, I think, to contend with right now um, in, in his way. Uh, but it's not inconceivable that Bellinger could end the role, end the season with a pretty sizable role. Yeah, an upside prospect that could be a buy in Dynasty for sure. All right. Now, uh, well, Jake Ferguson was picked by the Dallas Cowboys from Wisconsin, kind of a jack of all trades. Not somebody I'm really uh, hitting on this year, somebody maybe to watch for the future, but we are interested in Baltimore. So Mark Andrews is uh, one of, if not the best tight end in football from a dynasty perspective, uh, maybe Kyle Pitts ahead of him. Uh, there's, you know, he's, in the, he's in that conversation with George Kittle. Um, but they, uh, interestingly, Baltimore on day, day three in the fourth round takes not one, but two tight ends. They took Charlie Kolar from Iowa state, six, six, two fifty two, great hands, capable blocker. Um, almost like Mark Andrews insurance, but then the curiously, they take Isaiah likely who I was very high on coming into the draft as a receiving option from coastal Carolina, good route runner, loving the upside there. Um, 
What are your thoughts on uh, Baltimore taking two tight ends here? Yeah, it's not only that, but you couple that with them trading Hollywood Brown and not taking a receiver high up. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think it says a lot about how Baltimore wants to run their offense. We know they're a run first team. And now it seems like they have three tight ends. They're confident that they can put on the field. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. No, I was saying my, when uh, Andrews was drafted, he was drafted the same draft as Hayden Hurst. Hurst went first, Andrews second. So this, it kind of brings me back to that a little bit. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone ever really filled Hurst's role after he left, uh, but I can definitely see them running a lot of 12 personnel. Uh, anything else you want to add about the Ravens tight ends? Yeah, I think both of these guys are going to be red zone threats, and I wouldn't be surprised if they use Isaiah Likely in kind of a move role, kind of shifted around the formation. He has athleticism of someone comparable to maybe Gerald Everett even. So uh, Mm. it'll be an interesting role to see how the Ravens deploy these guys, but I think they've got a plan for them with how they drafted. All right. Now, um, Tugosi and from Maryland. Uh, It's a mouthful there, but he's a blazing fast tight end, run about a four or five. Profile's more like an H-back with 6'2", 238. But, man, he can be moved anywhere on the field. He's an interesting uh, weapon there for Tennessee. Um, They lost A.J. Brown uh, in the the, uh, trade to Philadelphia. They draft Traylon Burks, who we talked about in our day one podcast. Uh, They've got a – they don't have a whole lot there from the receiving aspect to tight end. There's some opportunities, my point here. And with his speed and his size, I can see them creating mismatches all over the field uh, if he's able to get up to speed in that offense. Any thoughts about uh, – or anyone else about you want to touch on from a tight end perspective? Um, no, I'm with you on Okonkwo, though. I mean, yeah. he's kind of an H-back type, really athletic. It'll be uh, – the Titans have some options is how they want to use him. I'm not sure he'll get on the field that much too early, but it'll be interesting. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for our uh, at 2022 NFL Draft in review. Uh, I'm Drew DeLuca. This is Samuel Sonner. Catch you later.